Today is a follow-on message from last Sunday. I, I had a lot of feedback from last Sunday, more than I probably had off any message from local people in 20 years. You know, so I obviously hit, hit the spot. Uh, the trouble is you come along to do a sequel, like you know, part two, nobody remembers part one. Maybe if we took a quiz, we'd get a few answers right. But you know, that's what happens. Fortunately, with the, the Holy Spirit puts something in us, so we often know things we don't know we know even though you can't remember exactly what was said, oh, now you know something, you know. And I appreciate it very much like that. I'm the same. I've got to think for myself, what did I say last Sunday? <laughs> but um, you might remember I started by asking a question. Did you know that if you are still in your sins, your sins follow you to judgment day? And some get ahead of you. Some get there before you do. But if you are the redeemed of the Lord, it is your deeds, your good works that follow you to Judgment Day. Do you remember I asked that question? And then we discussed that. We discussed what is the difference when parts of the New Testament say you're not saved by works and you've got to repent of dead works. But other parts of the New Testament say works are necessary. That really, if you're in the faith, work gets produced. We're all meant to be workers. And uh, so it was interesting to discover that even though the Bible uses the same word work or works, it's talking about two entirely different things. On the one hand, it, when it talks about dead works, these are the works of the law. This is where somebody tries to be righteous so that they're good enough for God. They, they, um, they're not relying on Christ at all or they're trying to look good in the eyes of other people. Uh, it's self-righteousness. As against what happens when you come to faith in Christ, you recognize there's nothing I can do that's good enough, nothing I can do that saves me. It's the righteousness of Christ that saves me. And as a result of which, you're, you're, you're born from above. The Spirit of God has given you. And when you have this truly transformed life and Christ is within, oh, guess what happens? You bear fruit. Jesus himself said, anyone who abides in me bears fruit. Those who don't bear fruit are get cut off. So the, the fruit bearing, in other words, the, the outcome of a life filled with faith proves that the faith is real. So one is a, a false way of becoming righteous. The other is the true way of becoming righteous. But when you're righteous, it's Christ within you that produces all these good outcomes. And that is called good works or the works of faith. Faith, as it turns out, the Bible says, works by love. So when you're truly the redeemed of the Lord, you're filled with love. He says, he says so. He says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And because you love, not only love of Christ, but especially the real evidence of being transformed from heaven is that you love other people. When you love other people, you can't help yourself. You see someone struggling, you help them. You see someone with a bill they can't buy, pay, you help there too. You do all kinds of things. The results of faith. Anyway, we talked about all that last week. And what was really interesting was we found a scripture in which the word works is used in both senses, all in one statement. I read it to you, it won't go on the board. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. So that's the negative kind. 
so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you, same word used, two entirely different meanings. So moving on, uh, we, we learned other lessons, but one of the big ones was don't confuse the works of the law with good works. And I gave you examples that were given by Jesus. And uh, we, I, I read to you a poem that was actually an old song. Remember that? By the pathway of duty flows the river of God's grace. Brought up that old discussion of, you know, is there such a thing as duty for Christians? And of course we discovered, no, there is. If we use other words, oh, we're quite at home with it. You, you know, if you're in the Lord, no, you have responsibility. And uh, we'll touch on that again today. What I pointed out was people like King David wasn't asked if he wanted to be king. He walks in the door. The Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. <laughs> no choice in the matter. Uh, the same thing happened with Paul, you know, struck down on the road to Tobias. You'll be told what to do. Go to the city. You'll be told what to do. <laughs> this is the call of God and it's the most wonderful thing. So life transforming. Same Jeremiah. I mean, Jeremiah lived a tough life, but he wasn't asked. Right. Chapter one, you can read all about it. The Lord says, no, you're going to speak over nations. You know, you'll pull down, you'll build up. Lord, I'm only a child. Don't say you're only a child. I'm going to give you the words. <laughs> and if you know the Lord to receive such instruction out of the blue, you weren't expecting is your delight. It becomes your delight. It's astounding. But the bottom line is, friends, if you're in the Lord, if you've got the Holy Spirit, if you've got a new, new heart, you will take up the plow. You won't take your hand from it. You will delight in the works of faith. You'll delight in the good works, which the Bible says were prepared from the foundation of the world for you to do. So that means for the true Christian, no laziness, no indolence, no selfishness. Now look, the human race in every generation has had a problem for a certain percentage of people with indolence, with laziness. So Solomon gives advice, you know, to the, the lazy son and the wise son. Paul writes and uh, says anyone who won't work shouldn't eat. So there's always been an element, you know, one of the seven deadly sins was sloth and so on and so forth. So the human race has always had its share of struggle with wanting to take the easy route. Uh, this is why we have doctrine. This is why we have the Holy Scriptures to f warn us and instruct us about choosing right, not choosing wrong. But the fact is you're meant to choose it. You're meant to pray about these things. And when you have a weakness in some area, confess it. Deal with it. And um, what we come down to in the end, this is where we ended last week, is that Jesus gives commands. He's given me commands. What remains is whether you will or you won't do the things he says. Uh, it's all of grace. That is, it's God's gracious choice. He doesn't necessarily, yes, we can choose not to obey the Lord, but in terms of the things he wants us to do, it's not up to us to say, well, we'll do that, but I don't want to do that. No, he chooses for us. It's gracious choice. It's his grace. What he chooses for us. And in his gracious choice, praise God, he chose you. That's the good thing. All right, we... We move on. That was just a little review. Here's, um, here's today's question. Did you know? Another one of those questions. <laughs> Did you know that in your resurrection, presuming you are the Savior of the Lord, 
and I have high hope for everybody here. You've been sitting under the Word of God enough. Did you know that in your resurrection, there will be something that we all have in common? And did you know that in your resurrection, there'll be something that each of us has that's not in common? Would you like to know what they are? First of all, what's not in common is this. We go to Paul, and we'll put some scriptures up now. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 41, There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Star differs from star in glory. Do you know that all through the scriptures, Old Testament and New, stars are a symbol either for angels or men. Common symbol. Paul is getting at the fact here that resurrection is a wonderful thing, resurrected to glory. Mortality takes on immortality, uh, or as in the balance of that verse there, what is sown is perishable. That is, what, that is to say, what, what dies and is buried. Your body is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. Now you're raised to glory, but each of us is given a different degree of glory, just as one star differs from another. You go out in the universe there, you some, some are bigger than others. They're different colors too. So with the resurrection of the dead, and you'll see why in a moment. Well, that's the thing that's going to vary. We'll come back to the moment. What's the thing that we have in common? Praise God. And it's just as well we have this one in common, or you wouldn't even be there. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. In fact, it comes just a few verses later. Just as we are born the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. Here's, here's a better way of explaining it from 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And there's a bit more. Everyone who, ha- who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So there's the thing we'll have in common. We will discover that we've been made to be like Jesus. The image of Jesus will have been worked well into us. But here's the point. Your reward varies. The amount of, the amount of glory of the image that was stamped into you varies. You'll all shine with the light of Christ, but some will shine brightly. And you can imagine that when you've read the lives of some Christians who have so lived sacrificial lives of the Lord, he Rewards. There is eternal reward for you for the way you serve Christ. So you you might imagine it a bit like this. Salvation is a wonderful thing and it's granted to you, but on top of that, there there is so much more that's wonderful that is added and added and added because you sacrificed for him. Not out of a desire to look good in the eyes of other people, not out of self-righteousness, just out of love, because your heart chose to serve him and serve his people and serve this world. Christians must work. Well, here's the passage, perhaps better than any other, that explains how this reward system works. So this is 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it, but let each one take care how he builds upon it. The implication here is we all build. 
We're all building something. Our lives are all producing something. And you're meant to be careful how you build, which means how you live, how you serve, how you love, how you pray. You're meant to be careful. And then it tells us what we're meant to build on. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is verse 11. Just um, So you better be building on the right foundation. But of course, if you're in Christ and filled with love for him and you're prayerful, that's, that's what flows. But then verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, stop right here. Remember, these are metaphors. We're talking about spiritual things. You're building through love and faith and prayer and work and serving the poor, serving the lost, serving other Christians. You're living as a Christian. You're living living the life of priesthood. That's what that is. But in so serving Christ, it turns out you can build out of a good spirit, or you can build poorly. You can build with gold and silver and precious stones, or you can build with wood, hay, and stubble. And you're going to get a different outcome. Well, what is this? And I I was preaching in Cambodia once and got a glimpse into what this was. Gold. Gold always represents kingly authority in the scriptures. This is this is a symbol for Christ. This is the in other words, the gold here really is a symbol for the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's also a symbol for apostolic anointing. Now, in other words, are you serving in submission? Are you really surrendered to Christ? Is what you're doing in obedience to the Lord? Are you under authority, not only to the Lord, but but is your heart in submission to brothers and sisters? You know, your relationship's in order. So do you understand how to to live out of the, the teaching of the apostles? That is the true apostolic spirit that's meant to be in the church. That's the gold. Well, then the silver... The Bible symbol for silver has to do with the refining, the cleansing of your sins, the refining work of the Holy Spirit, being purified. So in other words, in the Christian life as you build, have you been sanctified by the Holy Spirit? Is there progressively a cleansing going on in your life? Do you, do you repent of your sins? Are you constantly in the humility before the Lord because of our weaknesses? This is, this is, so you, in other words, you're, you're building out of a right heart. You're building in a right spirit in the way you live. And then precious stones, well, these are the good works that he has given us to do. In other words, is your heart happily taking up the tasks he's given you? So in submission to Christ, in submission to the leaders of the church, in submission to your brothers, in a spirit of humility and confession and repentance, are you taking up the work that he's given you to do, doing it the way that pleases him? Like that scripture that says, in all things we seek to please him. Well, this is your, this is your gold and your silver and your precious stones. Water and stubble, we probably don't need to go there, but you know, it, it would be typical to talk about people who do things out of selfish ambition, out of envy, out of striving and competition and, and jealousies. And you, know, you want to get ahead, but you don't care if someone else gets ahead. All, all the kind of attitudes that we've talked plenty about that shouldn't be there. Now, you, you, you might do the work you think is the work of Christ, but you do it out of those attitudes. You're building with wood, hay, stubble, and the like. So moving on from that, let's see what the rest of the bit, this bit says. Uh, each one's work will become manifest. This is now verse 13. For the day will disclose it. What day? Well, the day of Christ, the judgment day. Because it will be revealed by fire. Ah, in other words, uh, your life's work. Somehow the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking here natural fire. 
We're not talking throwing the thing in the furnace and throwing it in the match and see what happens. We're, talk, we're talking about the, the, uh, somehow the holy fire of God as a way of testing this. You're standing with Christ. Of course, you know, the implication for me is that to go from this life to the next, you, Christ talked to you. I tell you what, if you want an example of how Christ can examine and, and point out what's missing or what he finds fault with, but at the same time commend and then offer you such a way forward, I, I think it's a bit of a picture of the kind of thing that will happen when each one of us is before the Lord. And fortunately, if you're the redeemed of the Lord, um, you wash clean, there may be tears, but you're, you're set for and delivered and so mightily exalted. But if you want an example of the way Christ searches the heart, can see the unseen, read the seven letters to the seven churches written by Christ. And I'll, I'll give you two little examples out of that in just a minute. Anyway, this day that tries by fire takes a look at the value of your life as a Christian. And here's what it says. Verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, what foundation? Christ. So the only thing being tested here is what did you do for Christ? Or out of the spirit of Christ, how did you serve the present age? If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Ah, the image of Christ, the result of your faith and being saved by grace, somehow still endures. He'll be, he will suffer loss. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. Well, like leaping out of the window when the house is on fire and everything crashes behind you and you've lost it all, but you're still wearing your pajamas. You know, you're, you're through. <laughs> so uh, anyway, look, I didn't write it. There it is. The fact is, it, look, if we go back to something perhaps written in sweeter language, but, but if you look honestly at it, just as severe in terms of the, the might of the grace toward people who obey, but the, the sincerity of judge, the, 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 sorry, the severity of judgment to those who displease the Lord. Go and read John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he'll prune. So a little bit of pain goes on to make you better, that you may bear more fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts away and it withers and is burned. So it's, these are the words of Jesus. And we, we totally understand our salvation is by grace. He takes hold of us, places us in Christ. And I think whatever the heart is toward God, whatever there's a, a faith and a trust, no, you're, you're in his hands. But at the same time, that you must have assurance and a sense of security and you believe and you trust and you're so, so thankful. I'm so thankful every day that I'm saved by his grace because honestly, I could never, you know, never measure up. No, we, it's not that. We don't have to measure up. Christ measured up. Christ not only died the death you should have died, Christ lived the life you should have lived. So it's like a, a double offering. He lived in your place, if you like. So when you get gathered into Christ, you're in Christ. And thank God this is the big truth of the faith. At the same time, it is to our peril if we neglect 
these many plain passages of Scripture that warn us to, to keep Christ well in view, to keep your eye on things above, to keep your heart dedicated to the Lord, to choose to walk in love and to serve Christ. In other words, take responsibility for your salvation. Scripture says in another place, every one of us should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So a, a proper decent measure of awe before the Lord, of what, what we call holy fear. So moving on, good works. Good works are those that come not from trying to prove yourself or look good or measure up in God's eyes. No, no, we, we've got all past all of that. Thank God we are in the beloved. But then good works come out as a result of faith in you, love in you, a changed, surrendered life in you, not just changed, but changed and surrendered, and the Holy Spirit within. All this will produce outcomes. So here are the two little examples of Jesus speaking this kind of judgment I'm talking about where he points out what's still missing and what needs to be done as well as the good points. Uh, here are a couple of good points. Uh, Thyatira, first of all. Revelation 2.9, he said to that church, I know your works. Now, what, the reason I picked these two passages was for you to see the word works. So this is not the works of the law that's been set aside. This is the works of faith which, which, which Christ judges. Here were two examples of him speaking, not to individuals, but to churches, uh, you know, local congregations, actually of a city, not just a congregation, all the Christians of a city. Uh, well, they were very much more one in those days than, but we're coming back to it. Um, notice how Jesus says, I know your works. In other words, Christ is very much aware of how we live as a result of our faith in him. I know your works, your love and faith and service. Now, would you please note the word service? It's not enough to say, oh, I love the church, oh, I love the Bible, oh, I love worship, you know, come along. No, no, where's the service? And in fact, the word in the New Testament, the word for service, the Greek word and the word for worship is the same thing, which we've discussed earlier. I know your love and faith and service and patient endurance. Well, there's a kind of a variety of things being pointed at. And that your latter works exceed the first. In other words, they'd matured and their, their hearts were better and they'd given themselves more. Here's another one. Next chapter, Revelation 3, 8. I know your works, Jesus says to another church. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one's able to shut. I know that you have little power, but, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Um, I'm going to pull out one, one little quote from, from um, James here. Because people get confused because they read Paul, especially in Romans, where he talks about, you know, you say by faith and not works. And they read James who says, well, faith without works won't save you. And they get confused because they're confusing the use of the word works which is talking two entirely different things. So just to show the message is a bit more complete, I'll just show you this little bit from James. And in the light of what I've said last Sunday and this Sunday, now you can read this with better eyes to see what James is getting at. And um, so he says in chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
Now, remember the works he's talking about are not the works of the law, not the dead works. He's talking about the work, the, the, ser the service that comes out of you towards Christ and his people and the lost around you because now you love and you're so filled with Christ and you believe the gospel, it can't help but produce fruit. And, um, and what James will go on to say is if no fruit is produced, is what you think is faith really faith? You know, did you really get saved? Is really what he's saying. So we look at it now. If someone says he has faith, notice the words, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister, we, we, another way, look, a more palatable way to some people might be to say is, did that person have saving faith? Or was it just an easy believism? Oh yeah, I believe. You know, no, was it saving faith? 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works. In other words, if you say you've got faith, to say you've got faith is to say you've got love, because faith works by love. So if you say you have faith, but you don't do anything, nothing comes out of you, James says, faith is dead. He might have said as easily and more palatably, well, faith didn't exist in the first place. It's not real faith. There would have been less confusion had he said it another way. But there's nothing to stop us understanding what he means. So if you used, instead of saying works, instead of faith, instead of James say, saying faith without works, what if we put a different word in there? We'd, we'd soon figure out. He could have said faith without corresponding action outcomes is dead. He could have said faith, someone saying they've got faith, but there's no change of their life is dead. He could have said faith without love is, is dead. He could have said faith without commitment, faith without loyalty, faith without response toward God, faith without sacrifice is dead. And we'd agree with all that. There's meant to be an outcome, meant to be a fruit bearing. And um, so here's the question. Is just believing truths about God? Christ is the Son of God. Christ died for my sins. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. In other words, is just believing truths about God a saving faith? Well, it turns out it's not. And James himself says, says even the devil believes and trembles. No, there are plenty of people who, who believe the facts, but they don't have the new heart, the new life. And that's why evangelicals all over the world know you've got to not only believe the facts, but you surrender to the Lord and, and, and keep you know, humbling yourself, surrendering to the Lord until he himself saves you. You can't save yourself. It must be a work of grace. Uh, and so in just saying so, saying that you believe is not in itself a saving faith. We can use other words too, and a common, a common word used by Christians historically is stewardship, recognizing that we are given a responsibility to serve and to manage and to organize. Paul said, here's Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, if I do this of my own will, because we're asking the question, right? Do, do we serve? Do we work? Are there outcomes? Here's what Paul says, if I do this of my own will, in other words, do the will of God, 
If I do it of my own choice, I have a reward. But if not of my own choice, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. You'll still be judged. You might say, no, no, I can't be bothered. not going to do it. On judgment day, you're still going to be asked, you know, why did you not serve? And in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, uh, just two verses later, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. That's the heart right there. That's the apostolic heart. We are a servant to other people. That's why I've often said here over the years, we are called to make other people successful. The apostolic spirit. All right. Um, Not much more, but one or two things still to say. Last week, I read you as a, as a poem, a song, that old Salvation Army song, um, by the pathway of duty flows the river of God's grace. We asked the question, can a Christian have duty? And we found scriptures, New Testament ones, that use the word duty. Even Jesus saying, you've only done your duty when you've done it all. <laughs> so I think right now there's got to be some place for the word. But uh, today another song. And this one's real poetry. I mean, that one, that was great poetry. But when you get into the more intense poetry, so full of metaphor and so many ideas crammed into a few words, oh, you've got to stop and think. This is one of those. So Joseph, where's Joseph? Hey? He's where? Uh, Well, now, Joseph's a poet, and I am a literary critic, (laughs) especially a poet, a, a poetry critic. So he and I talk often, and the first rule that this literary critic has for poetry is it must rhyme. (laughs) And it doesn't rhyme, it's not poetry, it's just prose, you know, like fancy prose, don't don't kid yourself. Anyway, um, so here's the poetry. Now this is another Salvation Army song. And the Salvation Army has not had many generals, but the first one was William Booth, you've heard a little about him, but later on, there was a wonderful fellow who was made general. His name was Albert Osborne. Not Osborne, but Osborne. And he was the most wonderful, wonderful poet. And so we, uh, we often sang these words, and there's three verses. And as you'll see, this one takes a little more thinking about. Today we took Holy Communion, and Christians in believing, you know, we, these symbols mean a great deal to us, and we've received Christ But what this poem is saying is that for the world around us and for the lost, we are Christ. We've received Christ, but we must be Christ. And we are the bread and we are the wine. We are the best bread and the best wine that these people will receive until they find Christ. And so with that idea in mind, take a look at these three verses. Now there's the first one, my life. So this is, remember this is metaphor. It's talking about you. Your life has to mean something to other people. Your life must be Christ's broken bread. And your love, that is the love that's in you for the lost, must be now Christ's outpoured wine. A cup all filled. Now, this is you. You're the cup flowing over. A table spread. You're the table that's spread. 
beneath his name and sign that other souls refreshed and fed may share his life through mine. Now, this is talking about your service, the way you reach out to other people. You're the bread, you're the wine, until they find Christ. So verse 2, my all is in the master's hands for him to bless and break. Yeah, now, we, we take this bread every Sunday uh, and, and break it, or those who do communion are supposed to. You know, just a symbol. Christ's body was broken that we might be made one. But the song, the poem is saying, my all. In other words, everything about my life, my time, my heart, my devotion, my prayers, must be in the master's hands for him to break. So the same way we, we break this and give thanks, we let him break us and give thanks. And then it says, <clears throat> beyond the brook, his winepress stands. Now, this is where you've got to think like a poet. That brook is the brook Kidron. In other words, that winepress is Gethsemane. And you, you are in the winepress getting squashed because wine's going to come out of you. So beyond the brook, in other words, you and I have got to go to Gethsemane if we haven't been there already. And thence my way I take. That's, that's to be your resolve. In fact, he uses this word here. Resolved is your heart. My heart is resolved. Resolved the whole of love's demands to give for his dear sake. Verse 3. Lord, let me share that grace of thine wherewith thou didst sustain the burden of the fruitful vine, the gift of berry grain. Now, here it gets even more obscure. Remember, you've got to think like a poet. It was the grace of God that sustained Jesus in going to the cross. And it's the grace of God that must sustain you in making the sacrifices of life that must be made. That's what this is talking about. Let me share that grace. Let me receive that grace wherewith thou didst sustain the burden of the fruitful vine. The burden of the fruitful vine is the burden of Christ suffering on the cross. Remember the fruitful vine? This is the flowing of his blood on the cross. God sustained him. He will sustain you. Let me share that. That's what the, the song is saying. The gift of buried grain. You know what that is? Jesus said, unless, you know, he's talking about his own life, unless it falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, and the call to you and I is we die with Christ. You know, our, our, each, is a, each is a seed. You die with Christ that you might bear much fruit. And that's what he's talking about. The gift of buried grain is your life given over as a gift to him, dying for Christ. You know, Jesus said, if anyone loses his life for my sake, the same will find it. That's all that thinking. See, all this is hidden in these words. Close metaphors. And of course, here's the, here's the capstone. Who dies with thee, a word divine, shall rise and live again. That's the resurrection right there. And do you not want a better resurrection?
Well, we praise God. Thank God for poets and for songs. Um, could I say, before we close here in a minute, we sing a lot of modern songs which tend to focus on praise, although there's too much praise of ourselves than of the Lord. Too much of those modern songs written by young 20-somethings and teenagers in songwriting factories just because, you know, there's kind of a market out there in the world. Too much of that rather than the really mature guys who used to write the great hymns. Uh, they don't know enough about life and about Christ and often they write real faux pas into those songs like there's one here we often sing and we sang it today and there's a faux pas right in there. Uh, too many faux pas for me to kind of pick them all out but so we sing away. But aside from the, the, all the good that's in those modern songs there are things missing entirely. In modern songs how often do you see sacrifice and surrender celebrated or called for. Not, not near enough, see? The, um, a, lot of it, a lot of it missing, and therefore we ought to stir up our own songwriting all the more to talk about this, the, the call of the gospel, the call to surrender, the call to sacrifice, the call to the privilege of service, the giving, the giving of all. You know the old songs like, I surrender all. Take up your cross and follow me. A whole lot of, host of songs like that we used to sing. And you'll find elements of it, but there's not enough because it's not enough in the modern psyche. Every generation has its faults and weaknesses. Every one of them, we're supposed to become aware of our own. And the whole you know, current thing is the me, the me generation. We put ourselves in the song too much. I see a lot of songs where we sing about me when we should be singing about us. What we, what we are together. See these mistakes that go up. And um, so uh, just, uh, just mentioning it, that we need more often to find in our prayers and in our worships, uh, our worship an emphasis that we're not always helped to have by what's on offer and we've got to somehow think more fill those gaps. Uh, I need to bring this to a close without kind of enlarging on some of the other things, except to say this, with regard to work, to have goals in church life, to, to have a plan about how, how could we be more fruitful as a people? Um, what, what should we do in society? You know, what should we do in missions going out all over the world? What we should do with money? It's no good saying, well, these are human endeavors. No, no, forget that. We pray we seek the Lord, what should we do? That whole storehouse thing came by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and after a lot of years of thought, but there's other things. And so if something such as that comes from the Lord, no, we'll, we'll organize ourselves, ourselves to work. And just to, you know, just gonna say, what football team, if they're trying to win matches, doesn't work at it, it's called training. You put work in place. What Olympic athlete doesn't work hard? Paul used the same analogy. He said, he doesn't just boxers beating the air. It's serious boxing. He, 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 said, he gives advice to all of us. Run as to win the prize. So interesting examples is Moses. Moses didn't want to go to Egypt and run God's program. But the Lord didn't give him any choice. 
<laughs> got angry about it. You read the story of the burning bush. And uh, he would, the Lord would have stamped his foot had he had one, you know. <clears throat> Moses, you're going. Uh, Noah, he's just minding his own business one day. Noah, build me an ark. Um, you know, the comedian made something of that. Yes, Lord. Uh, what's an ark? You know, remember that? <laughs> and uh, Jeremiah, you know, the Lord says to him, do not say you're in a youth. No, there's work to be done. Jesus, having sent out the 12, also then sent out 72 to every place he was about to go. In other words, he put in a pre-evangelism program, a plan, systematic, organized, purposed, followed through, looking for outcomes, seeking to be a blessing to others. There'll be times we must do that. Can't just stay within our four walls and so on. Well, last little item we go to is Hebrews 13. And in Hebrews 13, the writer has something so important to say. He says it in two different ways. Verse 7 and verse 17. Here, we'll put them on the screen for you. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, do something about the way you live. See good examples. Get busy being like that. And then he kind of says more, 10 verses later, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. In other words, let uh, cooperate. You know, let's join ourselves together all the more, not with groaning. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. In other words, let spiritual leadership not be burdensome. We all pitch in boots and all. For that would be of no advantage of you. See, there's a reflection right there of eternal reward. Well, praise God. Your life must be Christ's broken bread. Let's pause and pray about that for a moment before Christian um, and Jacob and the others come and lead us in closing a song and worship. Uh, bow your heads with me and hum in your hearts and a moment of quietness before the Lord and I think the prayer the prayer I'd suggest for all today is a prayer where you ask the Lord if he would perfect your understanding and grant you this grace grant you, grant you an understanding of the will of God but probably more than, important than anything is you surrender just pray a prayer a fresh surrender to the Lord Jesus that he might make you very fruitful and Father, I pray, as others do today, I'd ask that you'd make us a fruitful people, not only individuals, not only individual families fruitful, but the church as a whole fruitful in this city and across the nations where we go, and across this nation. Lord, would you make us all the more a fruitful people. And afresh today, we bring our hearts to you to fill. Fill them with the love of Christ Fill them with an understanding of the will of God and the word of God. Lord, I ask that every person here would be made fully alive in Christ Jesus. And let not one sin remain. I ask today you'd wash every heart. Cleanse consciences. Lord, if there is any 
besetting sin, any abiding sin in anyone's life, would you even right now bring, make them aware of it, bring it to their conscious thinking that they may confess it and its power be broken. I ask, Lord, that somehow by your grace there would not remain in any one of us a sin that is secretly loved, but the power of sin would be broken and that our lives might bear fruit unto God. Lord, cause this church to be fruitful. Cause its leaders to be fruitful, its women to be fruitful, its men to be fruitful, our children to be fruitful, our teenagers to be fruitful, and all out of faith and love. May, may, may good works shine, Lord, in the lives of our people, and may all or any sense of self-righteousness be cleansed away, washed away. Thank you that you hear our prayers and our grace and mercy and peace rest upon every one of you. Blessing be multiplied to you. The blessing of the Lord Jesus prosper you. I commend you to his care. Lord, your mercy, your peace rest on every home, every heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.